I'm still speaking in the book of Acts from Acts chapter 18. We've just come out of chapter 17. I'm calling today's word baptism of fire. After Paul's ministry to the Greek philosophers of Athens in chapter 17, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and met Aquila and his wife Priscilla and lodged with them, working together with them at their common trade of tent making. Aquila and Priscilla had just arrived from Italy after being expelled from Rome along with many other Jews by the Roman Emperor Claudius Caesar. For many years, the Jews had been exercising political activism and resistance against the Roman oppression wherever it was. Rome would conquer a nation, then they would integrate the nation. They wouldn't seek to punish the nation. But when they conquered places where God's people Israel lived, they were going to only have one Lord, not Caesar. And so they would not be integrated. And so that caused friction. It had to happen. This was why, in the time of Jesus, who had been perceived as the saviour from the Roman oppression in Judea. He's the Messiah. Now all the oppression will cease. He will conquer Rome for us. And we will serve him, be seated with him. So for so many Jews, this was why there was so much disappointment when he declared that his kingdom was not of this world. So what did they tell Pilate to do? Crucify him. The Romans finally killed or scattered over a million Jews and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. Then finally, Silas and Timothy arrived at Corinth, where Paul was with Aquila and Priscilla. So they arrived from Corinth, at Corinth from Macedonia and joined Paul as he preached in the synagogues. But the Jews argued and totally contradicted him at every turn. So Paul left off preaching to the Jews in Corinth and he began preaching to the Corinthian Gentiles and a great many of them believed and were baptised. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a dream and said to him, Keep it up. Don't let anyone intimidate you or silence you. I have many people with me in this city. That encouraged Paul and he stayed another year and a half, faithfully teaching the word of God to the Corinthians. Then when it was time to leave Corinth, Paul sailed with Aquila and Priscilla across the Aegean Sea to Syria, then journeyed across to Ephesus, which was one of the largest and the most important cities in the ancient Mediterranean. Priscilla and Aquila decided to stay on there in Ephesus, but Paul left them and travelled east to Antioch. Then a man named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a Jew, born in Alexandria in Egypt. He had a very powerful speaking gift. He was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus, up to a point. But he only went as far as the baptism of John. When Priscilla and Aquila came across Apollos and heard him preach, they perceived that something was missing. Something was lacking in what he was saying. So they took him aside and told him the full story of the power of the Holy Spirit and about the life of Jesus within. Apollos then left Ephesus and travelled to Corinth to preach there. 
That's where Paul had just been with Aquila and Priscilla. We now come to chapter 19. And it so happened that while Apollos was preaching in Corinth, Paul made his way down through the mountains back into Ephesus. He comes back. And he came across some disciples there. And he must have perceived something lacking in the way they spoke about their faith in Jesus. Presumably, the same lack that Aquila and Priscilla saw in Apollos. There's something missing. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They told Paul that they'd never even heard the Holy Spirit, let alone having him within you. So Paul asked them how they were baptised and they told him they'd only received John's baptism. So you can see how important it is for people to hear what the gospel is. He told them that John preached a baptism of radical life change, a commitment in their hearts and minds to live for God and to purify their intentions away from self and towards God. Now that's a good message. But unless a person knows that the grace of God's there and the Holy Spirit is there and Jesus lives in them, that's saying, get your act together, guys. I've got some great wisdom here for you. That's good. I think a lot of that gets still preached today and it's, it's just not enough. So John the Baptist said to people, prepare yourself to be ready to receive the promised one coming after me. And that was Jesus. John the Baptist told people that while he baptised with water, the one to come after him was far greater than himself. And John said, and this is prophetically, he shall baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Today I'm talking about the baptism of fire. Because it goes on to say here in the scripture about that, what John prophesied about Jesus baptising with the Holy Spirit with fire, for he will separate the chaff from the wheat, burning the chaff with fire and storing away the good seed in the heart. So, would you like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because it includes that. The good seed is the word that Jesus speaks to us for faith to grow in our heart. As soon as the Ephesian believers heard this, Paul laid hands on them and they were baptised in the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. From that moment on, they began to move in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit and to proclaim the greatness of God's mighty acts. But when Jesus brings us into the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's not just about the power of the anointing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just about the love of God being shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. It is also about being baptised with the fire of the Holy Spirit for the purifying fire of God to burn out of us the chaff and everything else, the self-glorifying or self-serving desires of our hearts. That's the Holy Spirit. That's being baptised with the Holy Spirit. In the scriptures, fire speaks of purifying, which is the loving chastisement of the Father upon our souls. It's not about punishment, which comes from a different motivation than chastening or chastisement. The motive for punishment is retribution and payback. God's not doing that to you. When you're baptised with the Spirit, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to pay you back now and punish you. No, 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 no. He's a father. Chastening and chastisement comes from the loving goodwill of godly authority. Chastening develops character and integrity and steadfastness. 
so that we can grow in God to live a settled and productive life of hope and faith. What a good father does. But the experience of chastening, and that happens in our souls, emotionally, mentally, with all of those negative things that we go through, that is still unpleasant and difficult to go through. You think, I'm being punished. No, no. He's saying, if I love you, I'm going to get the best in you to come forward. You've been baptised with the Holy Spirit, haven't you? Now, if people are deprived from the learning experiences of suffering through life's challenges, the growth of character and spiritual potential will not happen for them. They will get stuck in their negative attitude towards anything that gets in the way of them feeling good about life. We currently live in a progressive and permissive culture that lets young people invent their own values and avoid taking personal responsibility for many of life's painful challenges. In Canberra, the ACT, they have just introduced legislation last month for 14-year-old children to request euthanasia. Today's teenagers are being taught that they can identify as being who or what they would like to be, male or female or something else. What about a cat? And the government legally protects them so that they can be as free and happy as they think they will be. See, there are lies out there in this world. People are making judgments based on what they think is fair and true. It makes them feel good about what they believe in. That's being dealt with right now. There's a fire burning and it burns in us. Paul said that he was willing to go through whatever challenges of life he needed to and to experience the weaknesses and limitations of his own humanity in order that he might know the power of the resurrection life of Jesus within him. That's in Philippians chapter 3. In other words, he saw this as sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I want to share in your sufferings. I want to know the power of your resurrection. Put them together. He said, bring it on, Lord. I want to know why I'm here with you on this planet. And that's what he wants to let us know. He says, it's not going to be easy, but I'm going to lift you above. The unnecessary suffering by knowing that I'm with you in everything and I'm leading you in the way that I have you, in the palm of my hand. Now, Paul wanted to know that. And didn't we just hear that Paul said, rather, that God said to Paul, he visited him in a dream and said, don't be intimidated, Paul. I'm not going to let anybody lay a hand on you. You keep on doing what you're doing. I've got many people in this place here. Do you think God is going to allow his people to be stopped from doing the very thing that is arranged for their life on this earth in partnership with him. So, well, bad things happen to God's people. Yes, but the point is they see that that is part of sharing of something. Jesus went through it and Paul said, I know I'm going to go through stuff. You can read about the shipwrecks and the lashings and all of that. But he knew that nothing was going to stop him. He said, don't be intimidated. Nothing's going to stop you. So is with us. Peter spoke about how this baptism of fire 
worked to grow us in our faith. He wrote, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come upon you to test you, as though something strange is happening to you. Sharing in Christ's sufferings is cause for joy. This is Peter writing. This is what he says in the scripture. Sharing in Christ's sufferings is cause for joy. That's why we read these odd scriptures that Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses, in my afflictions, because when I'm doing this for Christ in me, I'm sharing in what he's doing. It's for his sake. And he's doing his work in me. So Peter says, Sharing in Christ's sufferings is cause for joy, just as it is when his glorious life is on display through you. So two things are happening at the same time. It can be hard, but God is at work. But on the way there, we have the choice to get all the useless and ungodly things out in the open before God as he reveals them to us so that we can find his mercy and grace. There's dead wood that he's saying, look, we're in this together, you're going well. But there's some certain stuff isn't growing, the kind of fruit that, that is in there that I want to get through. I'm going to chop this bit off. Ouch! We let him prune off the dead wood, the branches that don't produce things. And we let him regrow us as productive branches, drawing from his life, abiding in the vine. You know, the message gets simpler and simpler and simpler when you bring it down to abiding in the vine with branches, good ones and bad ones. Jesus made it very simple. The message is everywhere. It's a matter for us to be able to know how to interpret what these tough things that get at us mean, to interpret them properly. So what am I going to do about all this hassle? What is that? Am I being punished? No, you're not being punished. Have I made a silly mistake and done something stupid and just getting the consequences of it? Possibly. <laughs> have a look at that one. But I'm helping you to have flow through your life, my life. So he's going to do this. He's going to burn off the dead wood and the stubble day by day. The Holy Spirit fire is doing it to purify our hearts and to heal and save our souls. Otherwise, we're piling into ourselves more and more dead wood, more and more rubbish, and God says, let me heal your soul. Let me save your soul now so that you can know that joy, that inner life can be healed. So that's happening for us, to heal and save our souls. Or we can let it all pile up like dead wood behind us. Wouldn't like that because then it comes all at once. And there will be an all at once one day. But if we collaborate with the Holy Spirit in this burning off, we endure the sweetness of his life within us. It's like the fire is doing burn-offs so that there won't be huge bushfires. Am I right? We can endure the sweetness of his life within us here and now and also avoid suffering a fiery sense of loss when we stand before him at the end. This is the good news, folks. This is part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God wants to do business with us in these days to give us the best that he's got. But he wants to get us familiar with him as being a loving father that knows how to do it with love for the right reasons. So this is stated clearly by Paul. 
he preached to the people in Corinth. The Gentiles were really listening and it's interesting when he preaches in Corinth later on, he preaches this message in Corinth and the people in Corinth, they said, oh no, we're of Apollos and some said, no, we're of Paul, no, we're of Peter. So Apollos must have done a pretty good job in the end. He was there preaching with Paul in Corinth and Paul said, well, um, I planted and Apollos watered and God gives the increase. He's talking about something growing. But he says, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now that is a prerequisite. When I say that, it's a given that Paul is talking to people here about laying a foundation and what happens when you build on that foundation. So first of all, the foundation has to be laid in the life, that is Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, now if anyone builds on this foundation, He's talking to people who have already laid the foundation. You might say, well, what about all the people out there that are going through stuff? Can they know that God is there burning off the chaff? Well, I don't think they could just guess it. It's hard enough for Christians to get this. No, what they need to do is have the foundation laid first. That's our job. Get them across into having the foundation laid. But we can be in this place now of building on the foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become clear for the day, capital D, day, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. That's the big bush. (laughs) And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. I'm not going to try and give you the full explanation of exactly what that's going to look like, because I don't know. But I know it's there. And I know God is intent on getting people through for their souls to be saved. And then he goes on to say, If anyone trashes the temple of God, that word is thiero, it can mean a whole lot of things. Wastes, ruins, destroys. It just means, just just trashes it. If anyone trashes the temple of God, God will thiero him. It's the same word in Greek. But this is what Paul is saying. If anyone trashes the temple of God, God will put the heat on them. God will burn that off because don't you know you are the temple of God for the temple of God is holy and you are that temple. That's in 1 Corinthians 3, 11. These guys, Paul and Peter and Apollos and the others, they knew about having a foundation laid. They also knew what to expect about what's going to happen in life and how to interpret it, how to respond to it rather than react at it and resist God. Blame him for not being good enough to us when he's saying, I'm trying to do the best I possibly can for you. So what is this work that we build on this foundation of Jesus Christ that turns trash into gold? Because when he takes something off, it's so that something better can grow. This becomes a conscious way of living. Well, there's something there, Lord, I think you're trying to tell me. Okay, got it. Now, he said there, if anyone's work. Now, 
He uses the word work four times in that passage of scripture. He says, each one's work will become clear. The fire will test each one's work, each one's work, each one's work. One will be burned, etc., etc. So the word work in the Greek is ergon. It's used four times, so it must be an important word to get that much emphasis. Now, Strong's Concordance defines it as anything accomplished by hand, art, industry or mind, any product, whatever. You might think, well, what am I building on the foundation of Christ? You think, it must be some special ministry for some special people that are called. No, no, no. It is anything, whatever that you do in your life that includes you and your, your and your self-talk, you're talking to yourself about who you are, speaking to God, thinking about who he is, and then how you relate to others. That's the work. It's an endless list. In this scripture, it's not just about things being done by the mind and the heart and the hands and the feet. That's work. You do those things, they're work. It's about the energy that's behind the work. Anything that you can, anything that you do, you can, you can know by faith and be consciously aware of it, that there's an energy behind that that is the power and the love and the wisdom of God. Oh, anything, Lord, but I'm not, I don't have that much of a ministry. Ministry is serving, ministry is work. You've got work to do. What's the energy? What's behind what you do? And what's missing? What's lacking? What's not behind what you do? I think if we get confused about this, the simplest thing is to say, well, it's a pretty sure bet that one thing that's lacking, missing, is faith that God is there and he knows what he's doing and he's doing the best thing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to say, okay, Lord, this is happening. There's something good going on here. That's the first step. The energy behind that work involves having faith. That's our energy in the things that we do. Having faith and finding grace and mercy in a loving partnership with God. I'm bringing that down to the simplest equation there is and that is all there is to it. Anything that we do together with God, either for our own spiritual edification or as a blessing for someone else, will produce the gold of God's spiritual energy and character that will endure forever. Let's get into it. Is what I'm doing important enough? That's important enough. Knowing that Jesus is with us changes our fear into faith, our despair into hope, our indifference into compassion and our selfishness into generous love. That is the work. You've got the foundation, we all have that. Each one of us can choose as far as we're able in whatever we're doing to say yes to God for him to live and move and have his being in us. I pray today, Lord, that we will receive the baptism that Paul asked the Ephesians about. What was your baptism? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Thank you, Lord. Not just for the anointing and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, not just for the love that is shed abroad in our heart, but for the diligent work that you do to get rid of the wood and stubble. 
so that, Lord, when we find our self-talk is negative and we're complaining about what's going on and blaming this thing or that thing or this person or the other person, Lord, let us see that this could be a place of opportunity to let gold come forth in our life that endures forever. The trials of faith. And what is that faith? To believe that you are there with us telling us don't feel intimidated by what's going on, by what other people are saying about you. No, I'm with you. I've got many people in your world that want to be with me. I've chosen you to do the journey and I want to be with you and show you the way. Amen.